0: Ah, Well, guys, if you have um, a Bible with you or you got your phone, I invite you to look up our scripture reading for our sermon text this morning. We are in the gospel according to Matthew chapter six. We're going to look at a passage of the Sermon on the Mount by the Lord Jesus. We're going to be in Matthew chapter six. We're going to read from verse twenty five to the end of the chapter in verse 34. So I invite you all, please stand with me as we read together God's holy word. This is indeed God's inspired and holy word for us, his people. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 25. Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let's ask him to bless our time in his word. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear your voice speak to us from your word. We pray that you would take your truth and the power of your word and write that truth on our hearts and stamp our lives by that power so that we leave this place today after we worship and fellowship together, conformed a little bit more into the image of Christ so that we look a little bit more like what Jesus calls us to be like here in this passage today. Do it by your power and for your glory and for our good we pray in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. I was doing some research this week, and <clears throat> based on the latest research I could find, which was from February, the most prevalent mental health issue. In the world is anxiety. And this article defined anxiety as the body's response to worry and fear. So worry and fear are these two underlying factors that cause us to feel in our bodies. It's not just mental and psychological, but there's physical sensations Physical symptoms and results that come from anxiety. Anxiety is the nervousness, the uneasiness, the panic and apprehension and agitation that we feel over some real or imagined event or situation that we perceive as threatening in some way. Mental pressure. We feel the mental pressure of some looming sense of dread about the future or about our circumstances or about a certain situation we'd rather not face. And it can be minor things. We could dread going to work the next day and you just feel all this anxiety or you could have some enormous deadline you're up against and you know you're not prepared and you're worried it's not going to go well and you think, I'm going to make a fool of myself or it's going to be embarrassing. I don't want to face that and now I've got the jitters or I just feel... Ugh, you know, I don't want to face that. And we could have anxiety over those things on up to huge life-changing issues as well. We feel anxiety over the slightest thing and over the major things. And sometimes we're anxious over things that are real. And sometimes our minds tell us that something's real and it turns out it's not. And oh, why was I worried? Turns out that was not a big deal. So it can be real or imagined, but the feeling is serious and it's real and it's everywhere. Anxiety is absolutely prevalent everywhere. I'll just give you a couple statistics. In the United States, just in the United States, anxiety anxiety is something that 40 million adults deal with. Anxiety. And not just feeling nervous. We all get nervous about stuff or get uneasy. But like actual, like clinical, medical anxiety, 40 million people have certain anxiety disorders. Anxiety, in, according to the latest stats, anxiety is more common in women, 23%, than in men, only 14%. It's more common in female adolescents, 38%, than in male adolescents, 26.1%. And interestingly, the prevalence decreases, decreases as you get older. So the least anxious people in our country are 60 or over. They're like, anxiety, what are you talking about? You know, "Ah, there's no reason to get anxious. What are you doing? Just go to work, do your job, die. That's it. You know, if you're over 60, it's easy, right? But the most anxious people are the youngest. The people who are in their teens and then in that 18 to, you know, 45 range is where it is absolutely massive today. In fact, between 1990 and 2013, all mental disorders worldwide increased by 50%. 50%. We went from 416 million people to 615 million people in the world who are diagnosed with anxiety disorders. So it's everywhere. And it's only getting worse and worse. Now, there are two kinds of anxiety. One is true mental disorders that require therapy, counseling, medicine, and a doctor. This passage today is not a replacement for those things if you struggle with those issues. If you need medicine, don't stop taking it. If you need a doctor, don't stop seeing your doctor. If you need therapy or counseling, those things are real, and some people have true mental disorders brain issues and they need help from someone besides a pastor (laughs) right so this is not a replacement of any of that this at best is a supplement that can really help but is not a replacement so let's be clear about that we're not talking about that kind of anxiety today today we're going to talk about those everyday worries the everyday stresses and pressures of daily life that we fret about and obsess over that causes our anxieties And this passage offers some true spiritual wisdom from the Master himself, from Jesus himself. This passage offers us some counsel as a natural remedy to that second kind of anxiety that I just mentioned. So let's look at what Jesus has to say about worry and being anxious. Notice what he says here in verse 25. He begins listing some things that we get anxious over. He begins listing some things that are causes of anxiety. So first, let's look at these causes of anxiety. First, he says, we get anxious about life. Verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Do not get all worked up and worried about your life. And if you look in Greek, it's not just the word for, you know, your lifespan or your sort of situation. It's the word for soul. Don't worry about your soul. So this is about your actual existence, your survival. And you know that's what he's talking about because he starts talking about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink. So the stuff you need to stay alive, basic Survival, The necessities of life. Where are we going to get enough food? How are we going to have enough to drink? How are we going to provide for ourselves? How are we going to feed our families? Making sure that you have what you need, the basics of survival. We worry about life. Where are the necessities going to be met in my life? The second thing he talks about is the body. Talks about the body. He says in... He says in verse, uh, also in verse 25, he says, uh, don't worry about, don't be anxious about your life. And he says, nor about your body, what you will put on. So if the first is our life, our survival, the basics of life that we need, the second thing's about the body and what we're going to put on the body. It's about our stuff, our accessories. The first is the necessities of life, and here's the accessories of life the basic clothes and furniture and a roof over our heads, the basic stuff around us that we need to just make it through, to stay alive. The third cause of anxiety he mentions is our span, our life, our body, and then our span of life. He says this in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And there's, in Greek, it's not a single hour, it's a cubit. Who can add a cubit to his length? And a cubit was like eighteen inches. So like who could add a foot to his height? How how many of us, by getting worried and just anxious and fretting and obsessing and what about this and oh no and just all it's just constantly bothering us and bugging us and we're always dwelling on it, whatever that thing is, real or imagined, how many of us can actually make ourselves an inch taller by worrying? How many of us can actually add on years to our life by worrying about life? In fact, the research shows that the more anxiety we feel, it tends to shorten our lives. So we're getting all worked up about health and fitness and longevity and being able to survive and have our stuff. And we get all worked up about the necessities of life, our stuff, the accessories of life. We get worked up about our our health and our longevity and our diets and our weight and appearance and all this stuff. But how often does the worrying actually fix the problem? How often does the anxiety actually do any good? You can't make yourself a foot taller or live an hour longer by being anxious. We got life, we got body, we got your life span, and then the fourth cause of anxiety that Jesus just touches on, and these are just examples. He could have been, gosh, this this section could have been the whole length of the Gospel of Matthew, where he just talks about all the things that people worry about. He's just giving some examples. Life, body, span. The fourth and final thing that he mentions here as an example is worrying about tomorrow, and this is a big one. We worry about tomorrow. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow is going to worry about itself. We do worry about tomorrow. We worry about the future. We worry about the future. Sometimes we worry about like the consequences of what we've done or what's happened in the past and how those consequences might catch up with us in the present. But by and large, we're not too worried about the past. Because it's over. We don't have to face it anymore. But our future is out in front of us, and that's what's scary. That's what we're worried about. That deadline, having to have lunch with that person, having to, having to get together with that family member at Thanksgiving, having to deal with this person at work, having to face this situation, having to go to church with all these whatevers. Like, we get worried about, just checking, just checking, make sure you're still out there, we get worried about all sorts of things, and they're almost always future-oriented. We're worried about stuff out in front of us. We're worried about stuff that we're about to face that we'd rather not. Or we are worried about things that we think we're going to face that aren't really there. Sometimes our minds can play those tricks on us. But the future, that uncertainty that sits in front of us, we really fret about that. We don't know what a day will hold. And Jesus says, well, just deal with what this day holds, and then we'll worry about what tomorrow holds when we get there. But we'll come to that in a minute. So those are some causes of anxiety that Jesus mentions. And we can multiply examples endlessly of the things we worry about. But what's, what's the problem with anxiety? Let's just move from the causes now to the dangers. What are the dangers of anxiety? And really, Jesus, I think, points us to two spiritual dangers about constantly worrying and being anxious in our text today. And the first is this. It's based on verse 30. Look what he says. he says. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? And here's the key line. O oh, you of little faith. O oh, you of little faith. Small faith. Tiny faith. Now, it's interesting. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So how small must this faith be? Oh, you of little faith. It's microscopic. It's barely detectable. To the naked eye, you can't even see this person's faith. When you see a person anxious and worked up and constantly dealing with it, again, not the people who have a, a legit medical issue, but the rest of us who don't have those problems but still worry about stuff and, and, and really, really get anxious over stuff. When you see that person... You're not seeing faith. You're not detecting their faith. What you're seeing is distrust. You're not seeing their trust. And that's the first big danger of anxiety, is that it leads Jesus to look at us and say, oh, you of little faith. What are you so worried about? It leads us to distrust God's goodness. Jesus says, your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. If he takes care of flowers, won't he take care of you, O you of little faith? What we see when we see anxiety ruling our hearts and our minds is we don't see faith in God. We see distrust that God's really good, that he's really in control, that he's really my provider, that he really cares for me, that he is going to work this out for me. I, I, I know it. I could pass that question on the test Easy. I'd get a hundred on that test. But when it comes to actually taking the answers that I know are right and living them in the moment, that's where I often fail that test. That's what's hard. And God knows that. That's why this is in the Bible. (laughs) It's for people like us. who who This doesn't come easy to us. We don't trust that God's in in control. We want to be in control. If it's going to get done, i got to do it myself. I could do it right anyways. I know how it's supposed to be done. And there's this deep distrust that can grow in our hearts towards God. That's the first big spiritual danger of being controlled by anxiety. But there's a second one that he mentions here. First is distrust of God's goodness. The second is distraction from God's will. Distraction from God's will. Look at verse 33. Jesus says, look, your heavenly father knows you need all this stuff. Those pagans who don't even know God, they're the ones who who were just eat up with fear and anxiousness and nervousness. They're the ones who spend their lives worrying and seeking and questing and doing everything to just get the stuff of this life and they worry about it. That's the Gentiles. That's the pagans. That's not you guys. Your father knows that you need all these things. Therefore, verse 33, seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and seek his righteousness. And then all these other things are going to be a bonus. If you get the kingdom, all this other stuff comes with it. It will be added to you, he says. If we spend our lives seeking the stuff and we miss the kingdom, we've missed it all. But if we spend our lives seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness and being obedient to his will and living for him in his way, trusting in his provision for us, then we get the stuff added, Jesus says. So we have it one of two ways. Either we can trust God and be about his will and then watch him be our faithful provider so he gets the glory and we get the joy of saying thank you and not the, not the pride that comes from thinking we did it ourselves. Or we can distrust God, we can do it our own way and we can, and we can just chew our nerves to pieces worrying about life and all the stuff that we think we have to face alone. Those are big dangers. Those can be crippling to our walk with the Lord, and they can be crippling to our obedience to what God calls us to do. Distrust of God's goodness and distraction from God's will are two serious dangers for the anxious Christian. There's a reason this passage about anxiety follows right after the passage from verses 19 to 24 that talks about laying up your treasure in heaven. In verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, or God and mammon. Money just sounds like the stuff in our wallets and our bank accounts. Mammon stands for the, all the wealth and stuff of life, all the stuff that he just goes on to talk about that we worry about. You can't serve two masters, can't serve God and somebody else or some other thing. And you definitely can't serve God and the master you see in the mirror. It's one or the other. You'll either love the one and hate the other. Or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. This is a call to humility. It's a call to trust God. So we've seen the causes of anxiety. Our life, our body, our span of life. Worrying about the future. The dangers of anxiety, that we were tempted to distrust God and we're distracted from His will. What's the remedy? That's what the title of this sermon is. Our natural remedy for anxiety. What does Jesus have for us? His answer is that we should live according to nature. Live according to nature. In other words, we should live like one of God's creatures. Live like one of God's creatures. This is why he points us to animals and flowers as our example of how not to be anxious. You should be like a bird and you should be like a pretty flower growing out in the field. What are the birds worried about? I hear a bird right now. He ain't worried about nothing. I can't hear the flowers growing. But what are they worried about? They don't even know they're in the world fields that grow wildflowers how do they do that jesus says look they're not toiling they're not spinning you're not going to find a loom out in the woods where all the flowers get made secretly right you're not going to find the birds they build nests that's kind of cool but you don't see birds building barns and planting their seeds and growing their crops and watering stuff and i mean not even the amish birds do that Right? They're not worried about it, and this is what Jesus says. He's like, "Look, look at these birds, look at these flowers. You need to recognize something very important." And I don't think we have to. I, I go outside tonight. I think about this. I just I went out last night. I'm, I'm taking out the dog right before we go to bed. I'm looking at the stars. I feel the it's a warm night, but I feel the cool breeze, and I see the trees and the stars are out and a little bit of clouds, and it's just this is gorgeous. It's lovely. Right? We're out here today. There's some nice clouds. It's warm, but I see the breeze and the trees are swaying back and forth in the wind. We're going to have a beautiful day today fellowshipping together out here in the, in, in the glory of God's creation. And I go out and I, and I have to remind myself that I'm not different than this world that I see around me. See, we don't often think about this, but human beings grow in nature. Human beings Like are a naturally occurring thing that grows out in the wild. Okay, rabbits run around the backyard. They 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 grow in nature. Rabbits come from nature. No one genetically engineers a rabbit. No one makes the rabbits. Right? They just they're just out there. The squirrels, the birds, the flowers. But guys, you're as natural a thing in this world as the flower and the bird and the rabbit. You grow in nature. (laughs) you're actually a part of God's world. But we're so different, right? We have reason, we do math, we, <laughs> we come to church, the, the birds are nearby, but they're not at church with us, right? Birds aren't worshiping anybody, not cognitively, right? The flowers, they're not doing anything intentional, right? But we're so different from the rest of creation. We're the pinnacle of God's creation, and we think because we're different that we're not really part of nature anymore, we're something over and above nature. We're set apart from nature. We don't really, we're not really a thing that grows in the wild. We say things like, you know, money doesn't grow on trees, which is kind of funny because money's made out of paper, which is made out of trees. So, right, so the tree grows in nature, and then a human being, someone with intelligence, takes that and turns it into paper and then prints it as money, and yeah, so money kind of comes from the tree, but the money isn't, you know, on the branch next to the apple, right? The bark of the tree isn't dollar bills. <laughs> and we sometimes think about ourselves that way. Humans, aren't, don't, humans don't grow on trees. Well, we don't grow on trees, but we do grow in nature. We are part of the world. And so we need to live according to nature, we need to get back to our roots, so to speak, and remember that we are one of God's creatures just as much as that bird and just as much as that flower. There's an important distinction between us and other animals and creatures because we're made in God's image and nobody else is and nothing else is. And that's important and you shouldn't downplay that. Jesus gets to that in a second. But the first thing he says is not, you're made in God's image, you know. Cheer up, don't, be, don't worry about it. He says... Look at those birds over there. Of course, Jesus is outside, but he's preaching this up in the hillside in Galilee. And he says, listen to those birds. Look over there at that field, guys. Check that out. Look at those flowers. Let me tell, tell you a spiritual lesson about those things. What's the remedy? What's a natural remedy? It's to get back to living like one of God's creatures. And I think what that means is this. It means, number one, recognizing, as I just said, that you are one of God's creatures. He makes this argument. He says, look at the birds, verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, we do sow and reap and gather into barns. So his point is, look, The birds don't even do that, and they still get fed. You are doing all that stuff. How much more is God going to make sure you have the things that you need? Are you not of more value than those birds? God opens his hand, and he feeds the birds. Will he not also take care of you? You are more valuable to God than the birds. Or, he says... Look at the, look at the lilies of the, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, even Solomon, the most glorious king of Israel, even Solomon, in all his splendor, in all of his glory, he was never arrayed, never clothed with such glory like the field God makes. God plants those flowers on that field because he loves beauty. He clothes his earth He loves those birds, and that's why he opens his hand, and he makes sure that they're able to find that worm or that piece of crust that someone threw out or whatever, and they find the food they need. And they don't go around worrying, oh, where's the worm going to come from this morning? Better get the flapping. (laughs) Get out there and hunt, boys. We don't know where the next worm's going to come from. What if nobody throws any seed out today? What's going to happen to us? Oh, no. Birds, they're not sweating it. And yet God still cares for them. So ultimately, living according to nature means living like one of God's creatures and realizing that we have to be cared for just as much as the bird does. That God has to open his hand and feed us too. And because he does that for birds, that he loves but don't mean that much to him, (laughs) he'll definitely do that for you. Made in his image, one of his own children. A person who feeds birds but starves his kids is not good. God feeds the birds. He will not let you starve. He will make sure that you are given what you need. It means realizing that we are one of his creatures, but we are his greatest creature. And if he cares for the lesser, how much more will he care for his favorite creation? And that's us. The people made in his image that he loves the last thing i think it means here to live according to nature it means that we need to go outside and study and observe what we see around us in the world we need to look and see we need to actually do what he says look at those birds just watch a bird and watch look go go next time you're at the greenhouse look at some pretty flowers let the world prompt you to think about God because that's what it's there for. He put every star into place so that you would remember his name, so that you would think about him. So the next time you're like, man, these flowers are gorgeous. I want to I buy some of these. I'm going to hang this basket. I'm going to plant these outside. Let that experience of like, wow, that's beautiful. Let that be a springboard to then think about God and worship God. It will absolutely revolutionize how you experience the basic stuff that's, all, that's staring us in the face all the time. We'll feel the breeze and we'll think about the Holy Spirit. We'll see a beautiful flower and we'll think about God's creativity and His love of beauty. We'll see a field covered with flowers and we'll think, Man, He gives the field its clothing. And all my clothing comes from Him as well. You see, what throws us off is this. We, we look at the Lord's Prayer. And we think, okay, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, for us, that means, Lord, when I get to Giant, please let there be bread on the shelf. Please, please let my car start. Please don't let gas be $18 a gallon. Please let me be able to get there and buy the bread. Right? That's, that's give, us this day, give us this week <laughs> our bread because we don't buy bread every day. A loaf at a time will do. That's what we think. These guys, the, he's talking to peasants and farmers. And when they say, give us, this day our, give us this day our daily bread, just like we said, money doesn't grow on trees. Bread doesn't grow out of the ground either. Wheat grows out of the ground. The stuff you need to make the bread grows out of the ground. But the bread, like we're not praying for manna <laughs> to fall from the sky. We're saying, God, give us the natural resources. Give us the weather, the rain, the climate, the soil. Keep the foxes and the and the rabbits and the birds and the pests away. Let the crops grow. Please let us have enough people in the field to harvest all this stuff. Bless our efforts. We do sow and reap and toil and spin and we're going to keep doing those this isn't a call to be lazy and just oh well just open your mouth and let the bread fall out of the sky in your mouth you know quit your job and just let god take care of it no this is keep toiling keep spinning uh, keep sowing and reaping and gathering keep doing the things the gift, using the gifts god has given us as his image bearers but trust Him to provide the the oxygen and the water and the soil and the sunshine and the rain and everything else we need to produce what we need to live. Give us this day our daily bread as a call to action, not a call to just sit back and do nothing. So the opposite of, of not worrying isn't doing nothing, right? Be active, use the gifts God has given you, be wise, think ahead, but trust God in the midst of all the toiling and the spinning, et cetera. So let's, let's wrap it up with a couple of, of applications here. What, do you, what's your, what should your takeaway be as we, as we draw it to a close? What's your takeaway from this? Well, first thing that we need to do is we need to cultivate. You need to cultivate your trust and dependence on God. And I've already suggested a couple of ways to do that is to change the way you look at the world around you. Go outside and actually use the world around you the way Jesus says. When he says, look at the birds, he doesn't mean just like glance and then look away. It's the word for like, really see them. Like, observe, take notes, really watch them. Consider the lilies means, same thing, like you're doing deep observation, of this, of these lilies, of these flowers. And what he means is look at them in a way that you get the spiritual insight that you're supposed to get from them. So sometimes we think, you know, the way that you cultivate your dependence on God is you, you, you know, right, you read more Bible and do more prayer and maybe go to church more, listen to an extra sermon. I mean, and it's the super spiritual stuff. But one of the ways you can cultivate dependence on God is to look at a bird, <laughs> right it's to admire a flower it's to go outside and be in god's world and see yourself as part of his world just like the tree that you're walking under or the breeze you feel blowing by and feel yourself under his constant provision and care those birds are not going hungry over there and i'm not either and that's because of my god and if he's taking care of me then I can trust him in this next situation. I don't have to distrust. I don't have to be distracted from obedience. I can seek his kingdom and his righteousness and be about his business because I know he's about mine. He's taking care of me. Cultivate that trust and dependence on God. Go outside like we are today. Another thing you can do is to go to the book of Proverbs if you want it to be a little more Bible-focused. Go to the book of Proverbs and just read Proverbs... 31 chapters, and just look at how many times the author of Proverbs draws lessons from animals. Ants and beetles and bugs and bears and rat. He's just constantly, it's all over, it's scattered, right? It's not all in one place, but just see how many times the author of Proverbs points us to something in nature or to an animal that he has watched, and he's like, we can learn a lesson about God and about ourselves, from our experience of the stuff that's around us every day that we don't even notice. Try those two things and begin to cultivate your trust and dependence on God. See if it doesn't help with some of your anxiety. The second thing you can do is to interrogate your anxiety. Interrogate it. When you feel anxious, pull it out and pretend it's like this other person and sit it down in front of you and ask it some questions. This passage is full of questions. Questions. Look what Jesus says. He asks a lot of questions. First, here's the first question. I've got four questions you can ask your anxiety. Number one, why am I worried about this? Or if you're truly objectifying it, say, why are you worried about this? Here's what Jesus said in verse, in verse 28. He said at the beginning, why are you anxious about clothing? Now ask yourself that, but fill in the blank. Take out clothing and put whatever it is. Why are you anxious about that? And really search and think, is there really some root cause? What's really going on here? Interrogate it. Why am I worried about this? Question number two, how important is the thing I'm worried about? In the grand scheme, not how urgent, not how immediate, how important is it really? Right? Verse 25, Jesus says, he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Which is a question about how important something is. On the scale of importance, where does this rank? And if you're getting so worked up over some tiny thing, that's helpful to know. Okay, I can kind of maybe see a little more objectively how important this thing is, and that can help me get a, get a handle on it. How important is this? Why am I worried about this? How important is the thing I'm worried about? And the third question is, will my worrying actually accomplish anything? That's verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Can I make myself a foot taller by worrying about my height? No. Can I make myself live an hour longer by worrying about my life? No. If I worry about this too much, will I shorten my life? Probably. Will, will my anxiety, if, if I turn up the intensity of this, of my worry, is that going to solve anything? Will it actually help anything? Will it help me trust God more? Will it be an exercise of faith? No. Last question. When Jesus said, God will provide for me, was he telling the truth? Not, do I believe it? Because now it's a question, oh gosh, now I'm worried about my faith. How strong is my faith? You know, and we get worked up about that. And you're still staring at your own navel. You're looking at yourself. Turn it outward and say, Jesus made a claim. Is he telling the truth? Or is he lying? Or is Matthew mistaken? Or can I not trust this? Turn it outward, look outside yourself, and look at someone else who can speak with a power and authority into your anxiety. Look to the one who can say to the storm, peace be still, and the winds and the waves must obey the living Son of God. Look to him and say, is this word true? When he says God will provide for me, does he mean it? Can I take him at his word? Put it that way, and feel the storms begin to cease and be still. The last thing I'll say is this. Jesus closes with verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Focus on what's right in front of you. Cultivate your dependence on God interrogate your anxiety, and then concentrate on what's right in front of you. You can't take care of what's going to happen next week until it comes anyways. But you can take care of today, today. So be laser focused on what's right in front of you. Trust God now. Do what needs to be done now. Tomorrow we'll have enough trouble to worry about. You don't need to double today's trouble by heaping on tomorrow's and next week's as well. Worry is a constant temptation that all of us face, but if we live according to nature as God's creatures, we have a natural remedy to our anxiety. If we spend a little more time outside in observing and enjoying God's good creation, and if we really look and consider and think about God as we do so, we will find that what Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, it really is true, And we'll find that what Jesus promises us really is true as well. Paul said in Philippians 4, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. In Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are truly our good, gracious, and loving Heavenly Father. And you're so patient and merciful with us, frail creatures of dust. You remember that we truly are just dust. Help us to remember, Lord, that we truly are creatures of yours, just like the birds, just like the flowers, just like the rest of this creation. You made us, you care for the rest of your creation. You care for us most of all, but too often we have little faith. And so we pray that through the words of Christ today and through this small little sermon, that you would just take it like the loaves and the fish and multiply it to feed our anxious, nervous souls. That you would speak your peace, that we would trust your word. We would hear you speak your peace into our lives. Help us, Lord, just like we sang earlier, to carry everything to you in prayer to cultivate our trust in you. Help us to be calm and steady and not to worry and be anxious, but give us peace and calm so that we can truly trust you with all our hearts and truly dedicate ourselves to seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing that you care for us and that you will see to it that we have all we need, both in this life and in the one to come. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.